Well, as Jake said, welcome to Riverwood. Uh, my name is Aaron, a lead pastor, and today we get to conclude our generosity series. If this is your first time with us, it's okay that you're catching this at the very end, because actually this is the culmination of everything that we've been seeing. So you're actually not missing out on everything. So everyone who just went through the first five weeks of this generosity campaign are like, oh great, did I waste my time? No. Um, my uh, sophomore year of high school, uh, I would sit at the same lunch table with the same group of friends And what I noticed was there was a pattern going through the week. Pretty much every Monday, they would all start saying really strange things, sometimes using strange voices to do so, and they would all start laughing. And I would be a little clueless. I I would feel a little left out. I I couldn't quite figure out what was going on. But by Tuesday, Wednesday, even by Thursday, I, I caught on the type of voice I was supposed to use, the phrasing I would use, and I could then join in on these inside jokes. But by the next Monday, the exact same thing would happen. So finally, I had to ask, after this going on for a few weeks, where are all these jokes coming from? And I discovered that pretty much every Monday at lunch was just a recap of Saturday Night Live. Anyone here ever seen Saturday Night Live? Okay, I'm surprised not more hands are going up because this is the 47th season of SNL. I mean, this show has been around longer than The Simpsons. I mean, it's been around longer than many of you have been alive. I mean, this thing just keeps going on and on and on. Well... I didn't want to be that clueless sophomore anymore. So I decided I would stay up on Saturday and I would watch Saturday Night Live. And I will be honest, I was underwhelmed. Like, it just drove me nuts that they were reading off cue cards. They were like looking past each other, trying to to get these jokes. And some of the jokes just, I didn't think were really all that funny. And and I just quite didn't get it. In, In fact, I actually enjoyed Saturday Night Live more on Mondays Because my friends actually ended up being far funnier than what I saw on Saturday nights. It was funner to listen to them recap everything. But I did this for several weeks until finally my interest waned and I really hadn't paid attention to SNL until, you know, uh, after high school. But just because I decided I didn't want to pay attention to SNL, SNL decided that it doesn't want me to just ignore it. Suddenly, it seems like SNL is pursuing me everywhere. Like, I I open up Twitter on my phone, and someone will have retweeted an SNL sketch. Or I I go over to YouTube to look for something else, and suddenly they think I want to see an SNL sketch. Now, for YouTube's part, I can see why. Because every once in a while, I give in to the curiosity. I I see the idea that the sketch is supposed to be about, so I give in to the temptation, I click on it, and usually I'm let down. Every once in a while, there's something really, really funny. So if you're a big SNL fan, I I can see why you might occasionally think, hey, this is really good. But for me, it's just not the area that I'm going to go for my laughs. Well, it happened again this week. I was in my own little cozy corner of the internet, had my mug of tea in one hand, my phone in the other. I had the Apple News app open. And as I'm scrolling through the news, suddenly there is an article about the latest episode of SNL. The author thought it was the best one of the season yet, and she's like describing various things. And then she actually says, this one was my favorite. As she shares this video, embeds it right there into the article, a YouTube video of a parody of a fake movie called Brutal Marriage Movie. And basically you see the show's host and one of the other actors acting over the top as if they have this horrible marriage. 
And, and they're going back and forth, and, and the narrator's telling you how they're trying for an Oscar. And, you know, they show these fake, you know, uh, moviegoers of how horrible this movie is. And, and between the narrator and the fake quotes, and even the fake marriage counselor, you get the sense that you should look at this couple and say, if it's that bad, why don't you just get divorced? And the wife of the couple looks at the marriage counselor who says, get a divorce. He goes, no, we just want to fight a little bit more because we know it'll get better. And the marriage counselor rolls her eyes and we as the audience are supposed to laugh and roll our eyes as well. Because after all, marriage is temporary, just like everything else in life. Not working out, just go get a new one. I realize that me saying that could sound cold-hearted, sound a little crass. If you have gone through a divorce, going through a really difficult marriage right now, maybe you grew up in a home with divorce. I don't want you to think that I'm pretending like this is no big deal or that people should stay in it no matter what. My point is that the makers of this little parody couldn't even fathom the idea that a couple going through hard times might want to fight for their marriage and upheld the vows that they said to one another in front of God and witnesses. To them, it was just the idea that if it's that bad, if it's that brutal, just get a divorce and get a new marriage. This is how we Americans approach life. We see everything as temporary. I mean, we... we you know, switch our hobbies out. We, you know, our cell phone dies out and get a new one. We want a new car. We get a new job. We want a new relationship. We just dispose of things and move on because everything is temporary. On one level, yeah, everything is temporary. We've already talked in this generosity series of how the things that you own, you're not going to be able to take it with you into the afterlife. Like, it's just for the season. That's why we've talked about how everything you own is God's. You're just a steward of it because it's just temporarily yours. But I think we bring that approach into too many things. It keeps us from persevering through things, like trying to fight to help the marriage be strong, to try to figure out how to do the job well and right, to, to work through even difficulties within churches. But too often, we just don't want to persevere. Everything's temporary. So we just get rid of one and move on to something else. I think some of us bring this idea into this topic of generosity. We treat generosity as though it is temporary. You know, we might be generous in a season, you know, because, hey, I'm making enough money or I've got enough time in my schedule. And so, yeah, I'll be generous. And so I'll go and I'll, you know, help, you know, like donate to the homeless shelter or maybe I'll volunteer at the food pantry or, you know, I'll, I'll you know, go through my closet, clean everything out and donate it to a thrift store. And when I do, I'm going to feel really good. Get that nice little warm, fuzzy feeling. I did a good thing. But then the, the feeling goes away. You find yourself thinking, like, you know, this isn't fun anymore. I'm not enjoying this at the same level. And so rather than persevere through we quit and we just treat generosity like it's a season, like it's just a, a thing for a time that it is temporary. And like everything else in life, we just dispose of it and we move on. But what I hope to show you today in Second Corinthians 9, as we finish this all up, is that you will see that generosity is not to be disposable. It's not temporary. It's not just something we do for a little bit of time to make ourselves feel good, but then we, we've got to go on to other stuff. Instead, generosity needs to be like breathing. It needs to be like blinking. It needs to just be automatic. Because what we're going to see today is generosity is tied in with the gospel. That these two cannot be separated. 
And so because the gospel, the story of Jesus Christ dying on a cross for our sins is not some temporary story that we enjoy for a little time and then move on to go to the next story. That because that is permanent, our generosity should be permanent. Now we're going to talk a little bit about how there are different seasons, but I'm hoping you will hear today. There's not to be a season where we say, well, I'm not going to be generous at all. Instead, we're going to see that we need to give generously, continually. So if you brought a Bible, I invite you to open it up to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 12 through uh, 15 today. If you did not bring a Bible, I'm going to have the scripture up on the screen for you. Uh, If you are a first-time guest with us and you have a Bible on your phone, totally feel free to pull that out. We are great with digital Bibles here. If you're online, you can uh, even go over to that Bible tab and click on that and navigate to 2 Corinthians 9. If you do not have a Bible, we just really encourage you to get one. Uh, We try to provide the resources for you to get one. Either download a Bible to your phone or stop by our resource table out in the lobby. We've got two different translations back there. We'd love to just give you a Bible. Uh, We want you to bring it here on Sundays and practice opening it up because we think by practicing opening it up on Sunday makes it a little easier to open on Monday and Tuesday and any day. We believe that God has written through human authors about his love, the song we just sang, how he loves us. We believe we learn about that love, his passion, his grace for us. And and, and what he wants to do is he wants to transform us. Uh, We live in a very broken world. And what people desperately need to know is how much God loves them, how crazy he is about them. And so God wants to transform us to be like him, to be like Jesus. When God created Adam and Eve in the garden, he embedded his image into them. That image became distorted through sin. And so God is in the process of actively changing that so that we would go, and the way we put it here at Riverwood is to love like Jesus loved and live like Jesus lived. And so we want you to have a Bible to get into it every day and continue to learn about God's life and and, and desire and heart for you so that you will have that kind of life and you will live like Jesus. As we get ready to read uh, verses 12 through 15, uh, let me pray, and then I will read aloud as you silently read along. So, Heavenly Father, we are coming now to your holy scriptures. Uh, These words were written far before any of us were on this earth, and these words will resonate far longer after we are gone. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us, each of us bring in... um, a past, a perspective. Uh, Some of us, we have baggage. Some of us, we have biases. Uh, Lord, actually, we just confess all of us have biases. And so, God, I pray that you would do what only you could do, that you would move beyond those, that we wouldn't just try to listen for what I'm going to say and, and try to fit it in with what we want it to hear, but instead that we would truly open ourselves up to what you and your Holy Spirit needs to say in us to us so that you might change us. Because, God, I believe you want to unleash generosity through us so that we will be the blessing you call us to be to so many people. Lord, this world desperately needs you. And so, God, would you just help us to listen to you? I pray for the person that may not know you yet, that today might be part of their their, uh, being drawn to you, that you would be taking them yet a step closer to their spiritual birthday. I pray for the person who's been struggling with doubts this week, that, that they're wondering just if you are good, if you are present. I pray that you would crash in and let them see just how real you are and what you want to do in them and through them. So, God, right now, help us to humble ourselves, to listen to you, And help us to be shaped by these timeless scriptures for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. 
and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. This passage today is a beautiful bookend to not only the chapter of 2 Corinthians 9, but to our series as a whole. As we began this series, studying verses 1 through 5, we discovered that what Paul is addressing here is this idea that he's taking up a collection. Uh, When we were doing our Defining Church series back in August, we saw in Acts 2 that the church was taking care of one another. People were selling possessions and using the money to give in so that those who were poor, those who did not have, would no longer be in need and, and be lacking. Well, that idea of what the Jerusalem church was doing expanded out to the broader churches. As Paul has been traveling around the known world, planting churches, some of these churches are finding out that they have brothers and sisters in Christ in other cities who are in poverty. And so they want to do what other Christians were doing. They wanted to give to help. And so the church in Corinth, which Paul had planted several years before, they also heard about this and they wanted to participate. That's why we see at the end of chapter 8, Paul is saying, hey, I've sent Titus and some of the guys to take up this collection. And he begins chapter 9 with these words. Now, it is superfluous, meaning it's kind of useless. It's not really necessary. Now, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness. In other words, saying, hey, you guys said you wanted to be a part of this. So I know you're ready. However, he doesn't want them giving for the wrong reasons. That's why over the last five weeks, we've been seeing how we are to give expectantly and cheerfully and trustfully and willingly. Because he doesn't want the Corinthians and us by extension to give with impure motives to give in the wrong way. And so that's why he's, he's explaining all this. But now he's explained all of it, so he's coming to the end. And so that's why in chapter 12, he said, I mean, verse 12, he says, for the ministry of this service. So now he's referring back to this idea of this collection. This collection is for supplying the needs of the saints. All right. So he's saying, we got to be a part of this. You, you wanted to, to participate. And so bring your, your money in. We're going to send it off to Jerusalem, and we're going to help meet the needs of the saints. But now instead of just bringing back what he started with, he adds one little part. He says that it will not only supply the needs of the saints, but it will also help in overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is what we saw last week at the end of verse 11. That your generosity will produce thanksgiving. It will produce thanksgiving in the recipient but it also will produce thanksgiving in you. You will be thankful for what you have done. Thankful that God used you in such a way. That is what good, healthy, Christ-centered ministry should look like. That the people who receive should be thankful. And the person who got to be a part and lead will be thankful. I think about my friendship with Tom. I met Tom in Cedar Rapids. And at that time, Tom was the associate pastor at a Lutheran church. On the surface, Tom and I should not have been friends. Tom was the associate pastor at a, what would be considered a liberal church. And I was the young adult pastor at what would be considered a conservative church. And in our day and age, those two do not mix. In fact, we should have created all sorts of scenarios about the other. Oh, you believe this, that makes you wrong. And he should have thought the same thing about me. Now, I will admit, and this is really embarrassing to admit, but I just made certain assumptions because of the type of church he was a part of. And I thought in my head, well... He's wrong, but I'll be nice. Turns out, whenever I hung out with Tom, I would leave convicted. 
in the right way. Because Tom was actually living the type of life that I realized I wanted to live. As I saw how he worked out his schedule, the way he, he interacted with people, I would look at him and go, that's kind of what I'm supposed to do. No, I'm, I'm this, the type of church who believes those sort of things. And yet he was actually doing it. I was just talking about it. And so I felt conviction. And yet I never once felt like Tom looked at me and judged me. In fact, I always felt like Tom picked me up, lifted me up. And every time we would have interactions, I would walk away and I would be thankful. I'm so thankful that God put Tom Peeps in my life. Riverwood Church would not be where it is without the influence of Tom Peeps in my life from many years ago. And yet, if some of you were to call up Tom Peeps right now and say, hey, tell me about your friendship with Aaron Bird. I can guarantee Tom would say, oh, I am so thankful for that guy. And he would go on to tell you all sorts of things about the ways God used me in his life. That is what good, healthy Christian ministry and relationships look like. Both parties, the giver and the receiver, end up coming out of it thankful. Which means if you find yourself in a relationship where the other person says they are a follower of Jesus, but you regularly walk out of conversations feeling spiritually beat up, emotionally worn out, you might need to take a look at that relationship. Now, I am not saying... That there's no place for rebuke. There's no place for correction. It doesn't mean you're never going to have a hard conversation. No, sometimes those conversations are very needed and necessary. Because they're for our good. They're to help build us up. But if it's on an ongoing basis. Where you just feel constantly beat down. And you're not walking away feeling thankful. You might need to relook at that relationship. The, the, the people that you're allowing to speak into your life. Because the idea is that Christians are to love one another and love is to build up. And if you're just constantly being broken down, we're not helping you get to the place that you need to be. That, that is what Paul is getting at here. Is that when you give, they're going to be thankful. In fact, he even takes it farther. Look at verse 13. Not only will they be thankful, he says that by their approval of the service. Think about that for a second. Some of these saints are in poverty. They have received the gift and they approve of it. They look at it and go, yeah, that is good. That is right. That is not very Iowan. In Iowa, we say, hey, are, are you doing okay? Do, do you need some help? Oh, fine. Yeah, really, I, I'm, I'm fine. When, when the reality is maybe we're struggling deeply we're in a financial crisis, but we don't want to appear weak, don't want to appear needy. And so we lie, say, nah, fine. Maybe we find ourselves in emotional poverty, like some relationships have been breaking. We're feeling really, really alone. Hey, how you doing? Good. Things are going fine. When really we're dying inside. Maybe, maybe you find yourselves just spiritually impoverished. God feels so far away. And yet, man, I, you know, I'm the pastor. I'm, I'm a professional Christian. How you doing? Oh, man, God is so good. And yet I could be lying and I'm not doing great. But man, I got to put on a show. People see that I'm in leadership. I, I can't let anyone know. The, the saints that are receiving this uh, gift are clearly far more mature than us. They're not nearly as selfish, not nearly filled with pride. Because they look at the gift and they approve Yes, this is 
good. This is necessary because they realize that if God has called them to go and be a blessing, to go and be like Jesus, their poverty is keeping them from being able to accomplish it. And so when the gift comes, it helps to lift them up because that's what love does. And now they're no longer in poverty. And now they are able to go and be the blessing that God calls them to be. So if you're struggling right now, financially, emotionally, spiritually, don't be an Iowan. Be a follower of Jesus. Let us in to help you because we want to help unleash you to go and be a blessing to the world. So don't be so filled with pride. Allow God to humble you. Allow people in and let them walk alongside with you. Now, obviously, you just don't do it with everyone. Let the right people in, but don't do it alone. Let people in. And as you see what they do for you, you'll come to a place where you say, I approve. That was good. That was needed. Because we need you to be on the front lines with us to help bring this gospel and God's love to the world. So they approve of the the gift. And notice what this approval does. It says that um, they will approve. uh, Sorry, there it is. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God. I mean, ultimately, if you are a Jesus follower, that's what you want people to do. You want them to glorify God. That, that's where this is all going. But it's at this point that Paul now begins to get to the heart of his message. Everything we've seen so far in verse 12 and 13, and I would even say everything we've seen throughout all of 2 Corinthians 9, is driving now to this main point that Paul is making. To help you see the point, I'm going to ask you a question. Why do the recipients approve of the gift? Why do the recipients give glory to God? The surface answer is what we see in the, the last phrase of verse 13. It's that because of their generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. I mean, if, if, if your Bibles weren't open, you were closed, and I said, so what, why are they you know, approving of this gift? You said, well, because the gift was good. It was nice. Okay, yes, that's the surface answer. It's obvious. When you give generously, it blesses people. It fills them with thanksgiving. They're going to approve. They're going to give glory to God. So the generosity begets this kind of response. It begets this joy. But there's another answer. Why do they give approval and glory to God? It's the middle phrase. Because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. Let me read that again. Because of your submission, the word could also be translated obedience, because of your obedience that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ. In other words, if you are a Jesus follower, you understand that God the Son came to earth, took on human flesh, lived a sinless life, but died in the sinner's place. But then a couple of days later, rose again from the dead, came out of the grave fully alive. Not metaphorically, but truly physically, spiritually, in all ways. If you believe that story, then you are to live a life in such a way that you are driven and motivated to be generous. Because at the heart of generosity is the gospel. Maybe the way I should put it is that the gospel is really all about generosity. Think about it. The gospel says that God so loved the world that he generously gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would find eternal life. 
The gospel shows us that Jesus Christ did not come to be served, but to serve and to generously give his life as a ransom for many. The gospel tells us that the Holy Spirit generously opens up our eyes, convicts us of our sins, helps us see our need for Jesus, and generously invites us into this life-changing reality. The gospel itself is a story of generosity. And if you say, I'm a follower of Jesus, then you're saying this generous story is now who I am. This is what I'm all about. This is why Paul says this at the very end, verses verse 15. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Many other translations use the word indescribable. And just me saying that word, I realize some of you now have a Chris Tomlin song in your head. It's indescribable. It's inexpressible. Like this gift is so amazing, so mind-blowing, so breathtaking that you try to begin to describe it. You try to begin to express it and you just can't quite do it adequately. It's indescribable. It's inexpressible. It's so incredible. And what is the gift? Jesus. Salvation. Forgiveness from our sins. It's the gospel. And because the gospel is this inexpressible, indescribable gift, it should lead us to go and be incredibly generous to others. The problem is, so many of us Christians are not. Many years ago, I uh, met a, a guy by the name of Stephen. Stephen grew up in a Christian home, but somewhere in his teens and 20s, he totally wandered away. Not just from church, but completely from the, the Christian faith. And Stephen made his entire life about himself. The dude struggled to keep jobs because the night before he would drink to whatever time and then have a hangover in the morning, oversleep. And after you miss work two, three, four times, they're not going to keep you around. And so he just kept losing jobs. And yet he wouldn't change his lifestyle. Every Friday, Saturday night, he was spending almost all that he had just on booze. And pretty much every Friday and Saturday night, he was taking a different person home with him. And yet, he told me he'd never had a girlfriend. He'd never had someone to really look at him and say, I care for you. I love you. He reached a place where basically it was like a prodigal son type story. If, if you're not familiar with the story that Jesus tells of this prodigal son, the son approaches his dad and says, Dad, I want my inheritance now. In other words, Dad, I wish you were dead. He gets his portion of the inheritance and he goes and he squanders it on wild living. Ends up in a place where he's now feeding pigs. If you understand Judaism, for a Jew to be associated with pigs would just be an absolute insult. And so this young man realizes, I am at the absolute worst and the low. Even my dad's servants have it better than I do. And so he makes his way home, not trying to be a son again, just to make say, Dad, would you hire me as your servant? Because I'm just so hungry. I'm so poor. That was Stephen. Stephen reached just the absolute bottom, the absolute low, and finally woke up and realized... I need Jesus. And he returned back to the faith that he was grazed with. And I had the joy of watching Stephen grow in a relationship with God. Yeah, there were a lot of mistakes along the way. He stumbled a ton, but he stumbled towards grace. Now, Stephen and his family are missionaries in a closed country that I can't tell you about. But as I watched Stephen grow in his faith with Christ, I saw God begin to develop within him a heart for his non-Christian friends. He said that a lot of his friends in the bars were incredibly spiritually curious. However, when he would invite them to church, they'd say no. Because you see, 
they had certain ideas of what Christians looked like because of their experience. Stephen told me that he uh, worked as a waiter at uh, one time at this one restaurant. Uh, I don't think this restaurant exists in Cedar Rapids anymore, but the menu items were a little on the higher side uh, in their cost. You realize that at, at a restaurant, if you, you know, have higher menu item, the prices, the tips are going to be higher because we give, you know, percentage, 10, 15, 20% on a tip. And so that means more money for your wait staff. And so the wait staff would fight for Friday and Saturday nights. Because, I mean, they were just raking in the dough. Nice, expensive restaurant. All these people coming in. They're going to make bank. Most of them go and blow it Saturday night. But still, they're going to make a ton of money. But no one wanted to work Sundays. Some of that was probably because some of them were hungover. But honestly, the real reason is because Sunday morning at about 11 o'clock, all these really nice dressed people would walk in. And you could tell that they had just come from church. And they would then pull out these menus with these nice, big, expensive items. And they would order these nice, big meals. And they'd sit down and enjoy this nice, wonderful meal. And then they would leave the smallest tips of the entire week. In fact, Stephen told me that there were times where there would be a big party. You could tell they had just come from church, two, three families all together. They're having a wonderful time. They have this big meal. Three checks go around. And some of them would actually give zero. And he said that behind the scenes... Back in the kitchen, the wait staff would curse Christians. No wonder they didn't want to come to church. Why would I want to hang around with them? My buddy was at least kind enough to be generous to buy me a beer last night. These guys aren't even nice enough to give me a tip. See, we talked a couple weeks ago as we were looking at this idea of giving generously. We talked about how, I mean, uh, giving cheerfully. We, we talked about how generosity begets generosity. Today, we're seeing how generosity begets joy. But I also want to point out that a lack of generosity begets grumbling. If we are going to follow the most generous person in the world, the inexpressible, indescribable gift that has absolutely, completely, and radically changed our lives, then we cannot just treat generosity as a season. We can't see it as something disposable, something we just set aside. Instead, it needs to be something of who we are. It needs to become the core of our identity. We can't just turn it off. When Leanne and I lived in Venezuela, they did not have four seasons. They had two, rainy season and dry season. Now, when I heard that, I thought rainy season meant rain every day, and dry season meant it didn't rain at all. That was wrong. Rainy season meant it rained like four or five days of the week. Dry season meant it rained only one or two days. You see, even in dry season, there was still rain. Some of you, you may be in a dry season. And yet, you can still rain. You can still be generous. You see, generosity isn't about, well, I can give when I have the job and I can't later. No, it should be, okay, I can give this amount with this amount of income. But when I don't have work, maybe I can give time. Maybe I could be generous with these certain skills I have. I could go and volunteer somewhere. Maybe I could go and influence some kids. You see, it's not about how much you're giving. It's to be doing it cheerfully and bountifully. It's about the heart. Because if, if you have been changed by the gospel, it changes then how you live out there. And that's what Paul is driving at in all of this. The reason we can give expectantly and bountifully and cheerfully and willingly and all the things we've been seeing is because of the gospel. Jesus Christ is the inexpressible gift. 
that God has given to us. And because that does not change, our generosity should not change. It may change how it looks, but we should continue to live it out. And as we see, when we live it out continually, people will approve of it. They'll be thankful and they'll give glory to God. And we just might lift them up in such a way that they will go on to live generous lives as well. So may you not just treat this as a season. Okay, the generosity campaign is done. Now we get to move on to other things. Instead, may you realize, okay, the generosity campaign is done. But my season of generosity does not. May you realize that generosity is tied to the gospel And because the gospel is continuous, may your generosity be continuous as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help me, help my church family, help those listening online, to those listening to the podcast, to be generous. That we would not treat this as just some temporary thing, that we display generosity for a time and, and then we pull back because it just doesn't feel great anymore or it just doesn't seem to be cool or we're just getting tired of it. Instead, God, help us to live it out, to persevere and to give generously, not just to give generously into a church, but to live generous lives that, that impact a world that desperately needs you. Heavenly Father, I pray for the person that might be listening to this that has not surrendered their life to you. Maybe they know about you, but they've never given themselves to you. God, I pray that they would see just how generously you love them. That Jesus, you generously came to this earth for them. That you went to a cross and died the death that they should have died. And instead, you give them the life you always intended for them to live. God, would you make today their spiritual birthday? Would you allow them to to walk in your grace and to then become unleashed to go and be generous. God, I pray for the person that is struggling financially to hear this idea that we are to give continually. They're, they're wondering how they're going to pay the mortgage, where, where the next meal is coming from, how they're going to be able to you know, retire. They hope to retire before the age of 80. God, would you just provide for us in such a way that you get the glory? Would you help us to not be so proud that we refuse any help? Would you do what only you can do so that you get all the glory as you fill us with thanks and joy? Lord, I pray for the person who's feeling emotionally impoverished. Lord, would you just bring someone into their life to walk alongside them, to help them, to encourage them? Would you give them a Tom Peets who would encourage them in such a way that they'd be thankful for the friendship? God, would you give them the courage to open up, to let some key people in, who can bear this burden with them so that they can then be freed of this burden and and get back into living a generous life. And Lord, I I pray for those of us who, uh, I guess in some ways we feel so busy. We feel like we don't have time. I guess we could say we're impoverished in our schedule. Would you help us to see, God, what you call us to, where we do need to give of our time and influence our skills? Would you speak to us? Would you help us to see what you want to do in us. Because God, I believe you want to do something great through us. And so Holy Spirit, I pray you'd accomplish what only you can do in our lives. Help us to be generous people. Because to do so is for your glory, for our joy, and to create thanksgiving in others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
We're going to move into our time of communion. We're going to celebrate the most generous person to have ever been on this earth. But as we go to it, I want to conclude our generosity challenge, I mean, our generosity campaign with a challenge. Where is it that God is calling you to be generous? For those of you that are part of the Riverwood family, maybe you haven't been giving at all financially with your time and with any of your skills. Maybe God is calling you to be a part of this church family so that we can continue to bless one another and, and bless our community. Some of you, you need to start giving. Whether that's here, you need to start giving to a missionary, a ministry, a place you believe in. Some of you, you're, you're giving, but you realize you're not giving at that bountiful level. Maybe it's time to increase, to take that step of faith. Some of you, you have skills that you're not giving. You don't want the attention on you, and yet you're, you're robbing us and our community of it. Some of you, maybe you need to be on the stage. Maybe some of you need to fill out that connection card or send the email and, and do the announcement that Jake talked about, join in the clean team or serving food. Maybe you could help out with our Kids Creek. Um, help us start a brand new organization in Waverly called All In Mentoring. Maybe you need to sign up to become a mentor. Just 30 minutes once a week with a kid in the school to influence them. What is God calling you to? So as we come to the communion elements, I want you to consider that as part of your prayer. Now, if you were not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know I am thrilled you are here. I want nothing more than for you to realize just how much God loves you. But I'm also going to ask that you just very respectfully not go to these elements. I don't want you to play a game and, and take these and make other people think that, that you're you know, really spiritual. You see, these elements are about Jesus. Jesus went to a cross to die our death. And so when you take that bread, you're, you're recognizing his body was broken for you. And when you open that up and you take of the cup, the juice, you're realizing that is his blood, which was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And so if you go to this element, you're saying, I follow Jesus. I'm giving my whole life to him. If you're not there yet, no judgment. It's okay. Remain where you're at. Many people sitting around you were in that place at one time. Instead of coming to the elements, I just encourage you, spend some time praying. Spend some time talking to God. Ask him if it's true. And if it is, give your life to him. Most people in that moment when they realize it is true, they confess their sins and, and, and they tell God, because Jesus, you gave your life for me. I now give my life to follow you. I encourage you to spend that time doing that. But if you are a follower of Jesus, would you come? Jesus told us to do this in remembrance of him. Today, we're re remembering he's the inexpressible gift. We, we can't even begin to describe him. He's so incredible. And so would you grab those elements and worship him, thank him, but also allow his Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and to help you realize, okay, I'm not being fully generous because I, I don't know about you, I'm not fully like Jesus yet. I need to grow. I think you need to as well. How can you give your life to him? What areas is he calling you to be generous in? And let that be the moment that then you say, okay, I gotta go. Last thing. If you decide, you know what? God's calling me to this. Would you just let someone know? You could write it on your connection card just so me and the elder team can know. Maybe you tell your, your, your best friend, your spouse, 
Tell your, your parents. Tell someone, hey, I sense God saying, here's where I want you to be generous. That just put, makes it a little more real. Because again, I don't want you to treat generosity as temporary. I don't want you to see this as disposable. I don't want you to see it as optional. And so if the Holy Spirit says something to you in this next holy moment, just tell someone and let them help just hold you accountable so that you take that step and you do it. Because when you give generously, whether it's your finances, your influence, your skills, or your time, you're going to have a bunch of people who are thankful for what you've done. They're going to give glory to God as they approve of what you've given. That is why we go and worship the most generous one because we approve of what he did. It leads us to thanksgiving and we can't help but give glory to God. So at any time during this song, feel free to go to the elements, bring it back to your seats, spend some time in prayer. If you need to stand to sing, if you need to kneel and pray, this is our time to spend with God and allow him to say to us what he wants to and needs to say so that we might become the people he calls us to be. Let us do this now in remembrance of him.